So let's give it up for Pastor Jonathan. Amen. Good morning. Great to be with you this morning. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, I got full too, twice. Uh, we've been on a series about freedom in Jesus and, and deliverance, so today we're going to talk about the spirit of gluttony. We're all going to repent. Forgive us, Lord, but thank you that the food was so good. It was worth it. No, I'm, I'm kidding. We're not going to talk about that today. We'd all have to respond. Uh, but we are going to talk about the same series we've been on about freedom in Jesus, that Jesus gave his life. He died on a cross for you and for me in the shedding of his blood so that we could receive forgiveness for our sins and experience victory and freedom in this life in him. That Jesus loved us so much that he didn't want us just to know him, but he wanted us to live a, a, a victorious life, a life free from sin, free from bondage, and, and be able to walk in all that God has for us. And as leaders, our desire is for all of us to experience that, to know that, and to walk in that. And we, we are doing this out of love for you, that the kindness and goodness of God would, would shine light on things in our lives that would bring us to a place to be changed, bring us to a place for transformation. And I encourage you, if you've missed any of the last three weeks that we've had in, in this series, that you go on our website and you check it out because it, you'll, you'll, it'll help fill in the gaps and, and help uh, just really help bring things to light in our lives that we need freedom in. Show things in our lives where we need to change, where we need to grow. And we've talked multiple times now about how Christians, how believers in Jesus can still be in bondage. That through sin, through things that we choose to do, through lies that we believe, through mindsets that we have, we can allow the enemy to have access into our lives. We've talked about that we have an enemy, that there is a real devil, and he has demons. This isn't fantasy land. This isn't made-up stories. This is real supernatural reality that he hates you, that he wants to destroy your life. He wants to keep you from knowing Jesus. And if he can't stop you from coming to know Jesus, he will do everything that he can to neutralize you and cause you to be ineffective in, in your walk with God. And, and cause you to just continually live in a cycle of sin and struggle and not walking in all that God had intended you to walk in as his son or as his daughter. And we've talked about ways to get into freedom. We've talked about how God intended us to walk in freedom. How we get there is through confession, through repentance, through renouncing lies, and doing that not just between you and God, but with another person too, and allowing that person to bring healing and freedom into your life by being open with someone. And so we've provided that opportunity for you, and, and, and God is doing things in our lives, and it's, and it's awesome. And we're all in that place of saying, okay, God, what do you have for me? Put your finger on what you, what you want to change in me. And, th and, and today, we wanna go, I want to go into a subtle area, maybe an area where we don't always recognize. You know, we think, oh, I'm doing okay. I don't struggle with the really big areas. But what about the smaller subtle areas that really are just as big, that are just as crippling in our lives if we don't actually recognize it and deal with it. And so the title for the message this morning is The Great Resistance. The Great Resistance. And the main scripture we're going to read uh, out of and, and be out of today is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through verse 6. And it says, all of you, isn't that just so wonderful, so inclusive, all of us, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, 
because God resists the proud but shows grace to the humble. Humble yourself, your, yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. It can be easy to, to deduce from the title that I gave you, The Great Resistance, that I am easily speaking of our enemy, the devil. Oh, he must be talking about the, about the devil, the great resistance. The, the resistance that I'm facing in my life is the enemy because he hates me. He wants to destroy my life. He, wa- he wants me to, to be ineffective as a Christian. So the resistance I keep facing in my life, I'm not really, you know, experiencing all the promises of God I've always wanted and, and that I feel like God's given me. I'm not really walking in all the breakthrough and, and freedom and success and blessings that I, I want in my life in different areas of my life because I, I have an enemy. Well, what if... Possibly, could it be that the resistance you're facing in your life is not darkness, but it's God, our loving, gracious, merciful Father who loves us so much? But what if this wall we keep running into is God himself, giving you and I an opportunity to humble ourselves before him and lay down our pride? It says God resists the proud. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Sometimes the, 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 the delays that we experience in this life aren't just a part of the process that God has us in, or part of the journey that he has of promise spoken and promise fulfilled. Often, a lot of the delays that we experience in this life are because we have pride. We, we have a pride in our hearts and our lives that can't handle what God wants to give us because it will destroy us. See, one of the biggest tests you'll ever experience in this life isn't the test of failure, isn't the test of crisis and tragedy and going through really difficult circumstances. Often one of the biggest tests you can experience in this life is success, is the blessing of the Lord, is experiencing a breakthrough in him. How do you handle success? Do you easily get complacent, comfortable, settle in that place? You begin to not think you need help anymore, that you can do it on your own because you've gotten to a place of success in different areas of your life? Or is there constantly a place in you that says, God, I need you all the time. I, can, I can't do this on my own. I can't do life on my own. I need you. That place of humility opens us up for that promotion. It says, God will lift you up. God will in a sense exalt you. He will promote you in due time if there's a humility in your heart. God will not just pour out all the blessings and all the promises and all the things that we want in this life if he knows it will destroy us because he's so loving, he's so good. So often, possibly, what we face in this life, the resistance that we're experiencing, isn't the enemy, but it's possibly the Lord giving us an opportunity to walk into freedom. You see, our Western culture is stricken with pride. Our Western culture Our American mindset, our American culture is riddled with pride. And often, instead of us changing and impacting and seeing transformation in our culture, often that mindset, that heartbeat affects and shapes us, how we think, how we see, what we do, how we talk. In fact, many psychologists actually diagnose our American culture as a narcissistic culture, a me-first, self-centered culture where it's all about me. It's all about what I can do, what I can get, and everybody look at me. And, and, and that mindset can often even come into our lives as believers. We, we can't be ignorant to the fact that maybe that has affected us in some shape or form instead of us seeing a change from us into the culture of humility. 
And you may recognize some of these mindsets. You might recognize some of these statements, things like, well, you can't tell me what's right or what's wrong. You can't tell me what's true. I decide that. You can't correct me. Who do you think you are? Maybe we never say that because it just sounds so bold and brash and crazy, but maybe we think that. And usually our thoughts is where a lot of things come from, from the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart and the mind. You know, things take place in our lives. You see, all pride, all narcissism finds its root, finds its center in the ultimate narcissist, the devil himself, who as Lucifer the archangel in heaven who was in charge of worship before the Father, he said, no, I, I want this for myself. I want this, this admiration. I want this worship for me. I'm going to take it for myself. I want to be like God. I want to be like the Most High. And God's like, uh, not having that. You, you, that's not what's going to happen here. And so you can go. And then a third of the angels who became demons followed him. And, and still the enemy is in a place of trying to get people to think like him to think in that place of selfishness and arrogance and pride. He started it with Adam and Eve in the garden. He comes to Adam and Eve and says, God doesn't want you to eat that fruit, because if you do, then you'll become like him, knowing good and evil. And, and he's, he's keeping this from you. Wait a minute. You mean I can't have this? That God doesn't want me to have this? He's withholding something from me? And, and he doesn't want me to be like him? When all of the while... Adam and Eve were created in the image and likeness of God. They already were like God. They already were like him. And that was why the enemy hated them, because he wanted to destroy what was like God. They were already were like God, and, and God had said, everything in this garden is yours. I just don't want you to eat from this one tree. You can walk with me, see me face to face. You can eat all of this other fruit, but the one thing that I don't want you to have is that tree. And they focused on what they could not have instead of all that they did have. And that pride, that selfishness led to the fall. And from that moment on, all of humanity still suffers from the same symptoms. Focused on what we don't have versus what we do have. Wanting to, to have something, wanting to be like God. In a sense, wanting to become our own God. I want to do what I want to do. At the very core, at the very center of salvation, of relationship with Jesus and knowing God, there has to be a humility that says, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I really need you. I surrender. I give you my life. I'm not in charge anymore. You're in charge. That is at the very beginning, at the very core of relationship with Jesus. See, we, all, we can obviously know that the opposite of pride is humility. But I don't think we really understand what humility really is. And we're going to talk about that more in more detail in just a moment. But humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And, and really, in all areas, in most areas, truth, a, a full truth, is in the balance of attention between two truths. So, for example, this area of pride and humility, we can easily get into a place of Woe is me, I'm a nobody, I'm nothing without Jesus, I deserve nothing, and I am, I am nothing without him. Which is true. You are nothing, we are nothing without God. And we deserve nothing, we don't deserve what he has given us. And then on the other side is this reality that is true, that we are a son, 
We are a daughter of God. Through the blood of Jesus and receiving him into our lives, we are royalty with him. We are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. We're called to rule and reign with Jesus. This is also true. But if we set up camp in one of the areas and, and we don't have a, a good balance of the two together, working together, we can easily get into a place of self-worship and thinking that we're equal with Jesus and, and that we're just this amazing person and, and, and that we're, we're just always awesome and, and that there's nothing wrong with us and we almost become our own God and exalting ourselves. Or we can be over here in this place of false humility and oh, I'm a nobody all the time. I'm a, just a sinner saved by grace. And you put yourself down, you're negative toward yourself. That's not where we're supposed to be. We're, we, we are supposed to be in the middle with a healthy recognition of both truths. Knowing who we are, that we don't deserve what we've been given, but yet we know that God loves us so much that we're his son or we're his daughter. That, that balance of the tension has to be in our hearts and in our lives. I want to give us some signs of pride. All right? Here we go. A lack, a lack of or a loss of hunger for God where you're only desperate for God in a time of need, crisis, or tragedy. It's really sad when you go talk to some, someone on the street, you either you know, knocking on their door or run into them in the grocery store and you say, hey, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. Is there anything that I can pray for for you in your life? Oh, no, I'm good. What they're saying is I'm not experiencing tragedy. There is no crisis in my life. I don't know Jesus, but I don't really think I need him because I have not that bad of a person, and I'm not really going anything, through anything difficult right now. This, this plagues our American culture so much, where unless things are really bad, I don't need God. But you know what? Christians do the same thing. I'm only going to worship really hard. I'm only going to read my Bible. I'm only going to pray. I'm only going to fast when things are really challenging and really difficult, instead of it coming just from a place of wanting to know Jesus as your friend and hunger for him all the time. Recognizing that you need him every day, every moment of every day, not just when things are bad. Another sign of pride. You can't be corrected. You have a problem with authority. You have a problem with someone trying to show you something in your life that you need to change. You don't have a lot of passion in worship for God. I'm worried of what people think of me. It's just not my personality. You don't want to humble yourself before the Lord. Critical and judgmental towards others. Easily critical of other people. Oh, I could do that better than them. Man, what's wrong with them? Man, they're messed up. So are you. Jealous and envious of others. How did they get that promotion? Why did my boss give that to them? Why do they get recognized? They wouldn't even been good at that unless it was because of me helping them. Not able to celebrate, not able to recognize others, wanting that for yourself. Or why someone received a certain blessing and you didn't. A strong sense of entitlement. I deserve this. I've earned this. I should get this. A need for constant admiration. You, you have to be complimented and you have to be recognized in order to do your best. You're, you're not going to actually give full effort unless you know that there's a carrot on the other end that you're going to receive. Infatuated with self. All right, I'm just going to pose for my selfie here. I'll make sure I get my rear end out okay. Suck it in. Big lips. Or, or if you're a guy, all right, let me, here we go. Let me get my flex on here. Puff up my chest. 
infatuated with self. We do not have a social media problem in our world. We have a heart problem, and social media just reveals what's really going on in people's lives. Oh, I didn't get enough likes. I didn't get enough hearts. I, not enough shares. I, I can't believe so-and-so didn't comment on my post. I can't believe so-and-so didn't like my post. Oh, I got 45. I'm doing pretty good today. This is the world we live in. This, this me-centered, focused life that's all about image and creating a, a, an image that people can be okay with. People get into this whole fitness world, not just to be healthy and, and to you know, be in good shape, but so that they can have some image that people want to be like. Wrong motivations for a lot of things because we're infatuated with self. We exploit others for our own advantage. Manipulation, control, trying to make sure we can work the system to get other people to do what we need and what we want. We have a lack of empathy for others. All right, now let's talk about the good stuff. Signs of humility. Some of the things I'm going to share is clearly an opposite of the other things I just listed. <laughs> but signs of humility. Number one, teachable. Are you teachable? Can you be corrected without defending yourself? Can you be corrected without having to respond immediately with a, but, but I, I don't really do that. But I, I mean, come on. Right? Does someone have to create a, a legal case, a document of many pages of 50 examples to prove to you that you've done something wrong? Or can you actually just receive a, a good warning and correction from a friend? Do you have to be right? Do you have to be right in your conversations, in your disagreements, in your, in your discussions with people, whether it's in face-to-face, -face, on the phone, uh, at your workplace, uh, on social media? Do you have to be right? Do you have to be right? Or maybe you are right, but do you have to make sure that the other person knows that you're right? When you see that I'm right, you'll come around to my ideas here. Proverbs 12, verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. I'm not being harsh. This is the Bible here, people. In your face. Do you naturally seek advice from others? I don't need help. I know what I'm doing. I'm doing I can figure this out. Or do you naturally seek advice from others? Proverbs 12:15 says the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Are you able to admit your flaws and mistakes to others? Can you be vulnerable? Can you easily admit, "Yeah, I'm sorry. I was wrong." You're right. I did mess that up. Please forgive me. Number two, sign of humility. Thankful. I believe that if you have a thankful heart, if you're thankful for what God has done for you, what he has given you, that it is impossible to have pride in your life because you are not thinking about what you don't have or what you didn't get or what you weren't given. You're constantly thankful for what God has done and what he has given Colossians 2, 6 says, So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. Again, we all need to repent for how much we indulged in all of the wonderful food, me especially. And 
yet we celebrate Thanksgiving for one day, and it's wonderful, and then the next day is greed day, and people get trampled to make sure that we get the right gift for somebody. How ironic, right? Maybe that's not you personally. Maybe the, the list of the things I, I mentioned in, of pride, like, oh, I'm not all of those things, just a couple. Well, you probably have pride, if any one of them apply to you. But when we're thankful, we are able to celebrate what God has done and in, in a place of faith and anticipation of what he will do. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. See, when you have a true humility and thankfulness in your heart, you're able to actually express worship to the Lord accurately because you're able to see who he really is and who you really are and able to really approach him from a place, God, I worship you. You're so amazing. You're so good. I need you, God. I I thank you for what you've done for me. There's a reverence, there's an awe in how you see God. He's not just your sugar daddy that you can get whatever you want from him when you need it. You actually see him for who he really is. You are confident in who you are and content in who you are not. That doesn't mean that we just get comfortable, complacent, and don't try to grow, but it means that we recognize how God has made us. And we're thankful for that, and we choose to excel and thrive in what he has given us and gifted us in. There's not a sense of entitlement. When we're thankful, we do not have a sense of entitlement. Number three, got to pick up the pace a little bit here. Number three, live for others. If If you have humility, you're going to live for others. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And the scripture goes on to talk about how God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to keep to himself, something to keep to his own advantage, but he chose to take on the form of a man and come to this earth and die on a cross, a criminal's death, for you and for me, so that we could experience grace, we could experience forgiveness, so that we could know God. And because he humbled himself and, and leaving heaven and coming to earth and, and dying for us, the Father exalted him and made him the name above all names. That at the end of time, whether anyone want, everyone wants to or not, they will bow and say, you are the name above all names, Jesus. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Why? Because he humbled himself for you. He valued you. He did it for you. He loves you so much that he came as a man for you. He died for you. And we're supposed to have the same mindset as Jesus did for others. Do you rejoice when others are celebrated? Do you rejoice when others are promoted, when others are recognized? You're at your job and you've been working hard and you think that you're supposed to get this next promotion, but your coworker does. And you, instead of celebrating them and being happy for them, you begin to create a case against them of why they are not qualified for this next role. And you try to put them down and, and be negative about them behind their backs to your other coworkers. Or can you celebrate them? Can you honor them? Can you congratulate them and mean it genuinely? Can we do that in the church? I can't believe they chose so-and-so to do that. They should have chose this other person, or they should have chose me. That you're willing to live for others because you know it's not about you, it's for other people. 
You're willing to serve in many different areas, in your homes, in, in your workplaces, in, in society, in the church, because you know that no job is too small for you. You're just honored and privileged and thankful to be able to be a part of what God is doing in the, your life and in the, the world, that no job is too small for you. Number four, number, number four sign of humility is quick to forgive and don't hold grudges. Quick to forgive and don't hold grudges. Ephesians 4, 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God sets the example of forgiveness, just as he sets the example for love. Love others as I have loved you. And, and then he says, forgive others as I have forgiven you. And we're, we're called to, to wash that slate clean. We've got to let those things go. We've got to be able to release ourselves from the trap of unforgiveness. See, we think that by, un, by not forgiving somebody, we're holding a person hostage to their mistakes, and we're waiting for justice for them, that they get, their, you know, they get what they deserve. And until that happens, then we won't forgive them. All the while, we're in bondage. All the while, we're coming up against a great resistance in our lives because there's something wrong in our hearts towards that person. The Bible talks about in other different stories when, when we have received forgiveness from the Lord and we don't reciprocate, we don't do the same thing for others, we don't forgive others as he's forgiven us, it actually puts us in bondage. That forgiveness, you're not going to feel like forgiving somebody. It's not about an emotional feeling in order to, 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 in order to do it. You do it in faith. You do it just like everything else we're supposed to do as believers. We're supposed to do it in faith. I choose to forgive so-and-so for this specific thing that they did to me. And I encourage you to be very specific about the person and about what was done to you. Because forgiveness does not excuse their behavior. It does not justify or excuse what they did to you that was wrong. But by being specific, it disarms darkness by holding on to that in your life. You need to be specific, and you need to do it in faith, not based upon your feelings. You may not feel like anything was different when you're done, but I'm telling you in the spirit realm, behind the scenes, something has shifted, something has changed. And you need to be a, a, a able to come to that place of being quick to forgive. You, you don't, it doesn't take months and years. I mean, think about it. We're, again, we're in the holiday season right now. Think about all the families. Think about your family, possibly, where relationships are broken, shattered, uh, very contentious, very awkward, very difficult to be in and be around, all because of pride, all because you're waiting for that one person to admit that they were wrong instead of you admitting that you were wrong and going to them and asking for forgiveness. Or instead of just waiting for them to ask for forgiveness, you come to them and just say, hey, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. Let's figure this out. Think about it. All of the connections, all the relationships, all the families, that people don't talk to each other for years because they're holding on to hurt and unforgiveness. Are you quick to forgive? Do you hold grudges? Are you easily offended? If so, it's not just unforgiveness that you need to take care of. There's pride that you need to take care of too. Why do we hold on to an unforgiveness and a grudge? Because we think that we're owed something. We think that, you know, we, we need to see something justified. That, that I have been wronged. Yeah, you probably have. And, and God wants to come and bring healing to your heart. He wants to come and, and mend those wounds and relieve you of that pain and take that away. But you got to give it to him. And you got to forgive that person just as God forgave you. They don't deserve your forgiveness, but you didn't deserve Jesus' forgiveness either. We've wronged him, 
repeatedly, over and over again. And yet he still says, I forgive you. I paid the price on the cross for you. Here's my grace. Here's my love. Here's my mercy. Can we do the same for others? Number five, constant hunger for more of God. Again, it's not seasonal. It's not when we just have a need. It's not just when we're going through a difficult time in our lives, but there's this consistent growth and hunger in our lives for more of him. This humility and this hunger are working together in tandem where we say, God, I need you. I got to have you every day. I'm desperate for you. I, I want to I know you more. I want to walk in a closer friendship with you. God, I, I want to, to know what life is meant to be like. I, I need you in this life. I cannot do this on my own. Again, easily we can begin to get comfortable in the, in the blessings of the Lord. We can begin to get comfortable in his grace and in his favor. And we, we no longer continue to stay hungry for more of him. The important thing to recognize is your hunger for God isn't just for you. It's not just for your family even. It's not even just for the next generations to come after you. It's for the land. It's for this whole region. Psalm 63 says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people, this is God speaking, if my people who are, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God wants to pour out revival. He wants to pour out miracles. He wants to pour out salvations. He wants to move powerfully in this region and in the Northwest and in this, in this nation. But he's looking for a people who won't get full of themselves and think that they figured it out and that they were smart enough to know what to do when he does it. That they can handle the blessing of the Lord and say, hey, we are not this smart. God did this. And we were just, we were just fortunate and blessed to be a part of the process and to partner with him. God wants to move people. He wants to move in this land. And our humility before the Lord is not just about us, not just about our own freedom, not just about our own breakthrough, not just about our own blessing, not, not just for us. It's for the land. That God is looking for people that will turn from wickedness, that will turn from bondage, that will look to him, that will humble themselves before the Lord and ask God to come and move in their land. That will pray, that will seek him, that will hunger for more of him. We'll never exhaust all of the goodness and presence of God in our lifetime. There's so much more for us all the time. You have to be in that place to say, God, I need you all the time. And that requires humility. Let's all stand together. We joked this morning before service, if we should do an altar call this morning about pride, because we could basically say, well, if you didn't respond, you have pride. So God needs to work on your heart so that you would respond. But what we're going to do is we're just going to pray together. Just put your hand on your heart. And just repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, search my heart. Reveal to me any area of pride in my life. I repent for those things. I choose to humble myself before you. Help me to see myself how you see me. Help me to see those around me as you see them. 
Show me anyone in my life that I need to forgive. Give me the grace to forgive them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.